Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Once again, we thank you for what we celebrate. We thank you for all the women in our life that have helped to mold us and shape us and grow us and made us the people that we are today. We pray that every mother and grandmother and spiritual mother and mentor mother would feel blessed today, would, would feel the love coming from those that they are uh, raising and guiding and leading. We pray for those, again, who uh, are going through a tough time today. We pray that you would be near to them, as your word says, that you are near to the brokenhearted. And, Lord, that we all, as one family, would come before you and receive your hope and your grace and your peace. We thank you for your word. Those words that we just read that are such healing, they have such healing power to them. Lord, I pray that they would be of some healing today. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in sixth grade, I, I, I took an after-school class in basic web design. Other kids went out for sports teams. This is what I did after school. I was only 12, so my web page ended up something like, Hi, my name is Justin, and then a bunch of random GIFs. But not cool uh, meme gifts that we have today. These were just gifts of a stick figure waving over and over again or somebody just staying there and blinking over and That was what my web page looked like when I was in sixth grade. However, I did pick up some very basic knowledge of simple HTML coding while I was at it, st knowledge I still use to this day. HTML coding has come a long way since then. Here's a screenshot of the home page of our website. Some of you are thinking, wait a second, we have a website? Well, here, here, here's a screenshot of, of when you first go to it. And then if you scroll down a little bit, we have, see we have our upcoming events on there. We have our podcast on there. We have different times that people can join us. Uh, this is how the web page is displayed what the, uh, when, when somebody goes to look at it. This is what they see. But this is what the code looks like behind it all. A lot more complicated and a lot less interesting, isn't it? I don't think if somebody showed up to our website and just saw that, we'd have very many people coming through the doors. I, I can't take credit for writing all of that because uh, there's a lot of web-based software programs that do most of it for you these days. My point is that everything from computer programs to computer games to websites to apps on your mobile devices all start with code. That's very similar to this. They all start with code. A team of developers is hard at work writing all of it out so that it looks and behaves exactly the way that they want it to act and behave, to, to look and behave. Where am I going with this? If I went into this code and changed or deleted just one thing, it would make everything look and behave drastically different, wouldn't it? It wouldn't look the same if I changed or removed just one thing. You don't see what's going on inwardly in the code itself when you're seeing this. That's not, you're, you're not seeing all that's going on in this code behind the scenes. You're not, you don't see what's going on inwardly in the code itself. All you see when you access a website is what the code displays outwardly for you. But if one line of code was broken or removed or changed somehow, that would show up in the outward display of it. 
When we talk about us as humans, our inward code is all broken. It's all messed up. It, it was messed up when we were con, uh, uh, conceived and is outwardly displayed in how we act. When we give our lives to Jesus, God starts going to work fixing all that broken code inwardly. When we allow God to start making those inward changes to our code, however, most of us are a lot more reluctant about letting God making inward changes that are supposed to be then displayed outwardly for those around us. Last week we talked about how God has chosen each of us for a purpose. We talked about how God has, has not chosen us to give us faith in Him through Jesus and then give us a carefree, easy, and good life. If you're looking for that in Christianity, look somewhere else because you're not going to get it. You're not going to find it. He has chosen us for a purpose. Yes, He has chosen us to lavish His grace upon us and bless us as His children, but He has chosen us to be transformed more and more into his image. That's the true purpose that he's chosen us for. Last week we talked about how God's standards for living, which he has revealed to us in his word, are not some new and weird way of looking at things. It was always the way it was supposed to be as we enjoyed a personal and intimate connection with Almighty God and obeyed our Heavenly Father. When we become believers in Jesus, that transformation that the Holy Spirit works in us is a bringing back of us into God's original purpose for us. That is in being representations and being representatives of Him. Just like Paul was reminding the Thessalonian believers, God has chosen us as His children to protect, provide for, comfort, convict, and guide but he's also chosen us to be changed. He's also chosen us to be changed. To be transformed by the Holy Spirit into the people that he wants us to be. Today we're carrying on that same theme, but in a different area. The second part of that, as Paul wraps up this chapter, chapter 2. Similar to one of the reasons Paul felt the need to write to the, the, the Thessalonians his first letter to them, known to us as 1 Thessalonians in the New Testament, the believers in Jesus in Thessalonica had a certain fear that was driving them to make destructive decisions. It all had to do with an incorrect understanding of events that will happen in the last days of this world, which Paul attempted to clear up in both his first and second letters to them. Here's the thing, though. Like we talked about last week, even though the Thessalonians didn't need to harbor and act out of certain fears, that also didn't give them license to live however way they wanted. God reminded them that even though God would spare them from future apocalyptic events, that they were still chosen for a purpose. They were still chosen to represent God among the rest of their city and among the rest of the known world. That reminder of what God was still doing in their hearts and lives is what we discussed last week. What we talked about last week was more of what God was doing personally in their hearts, in the way they saw and processed things, in what perhaps secret sins they still harbored, and the way that they felt inwardly about any number of things. We focused on the inward and the personal change last week. What we talked about was all that God was, it was and is doing on the inside. 
God has chosen every believer in Jesus for a purpose, and that is to inwardly change them from the inside out to reflect more and more of his character and standard of righteousness. What Paul closes this section of the letter with is how this affects what is then outwardly seen. Sometimes what God is doing on the inside of us can't really be seen by anyone other than us. With every inward change, however, others are supposed to see how that translates to outward change. That's the second part of the purpose to which God has called every believer in Jesus. No, just like the Thessalonian believers, we don't need to fear future apocalyptic events because we too will be rescued from them. However, and this is a big however, God still has a mighty and powerful purpose of heart change and using that heart change to be a mighty and powerful witness to everyone around us. Paul gets into that second half of God's purpose for us in the last two verses of chapter 2. If you brought your Bible with you, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 with me. And if you didn't, that's fine. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's in the New Testament. If you can't find it, there's no shame in it. Look it up in the table of contents. And we, we can all see this together. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to read verses 16 through 17 to close out this chapter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Notice how verses 16 and 17 are written. They're written in the form of a prayer of blessing, aren't they? A prayer of blessing over the Thessalonian believers. But it solidifies the ultimate point that Paul is getting at. And that's what brings us to our first point this morning, the connection. Paul starts out with what anyone and everyone who is a believer in Jesus likes to hear. It's the easy part that, that's no doubt just as true as everything else, but it's the easy part to come to grips with. We all want to hear the things that Paul is saying in verse 16. Things like how God loves us and gives us eternal comfort and good hope by grace. Again, all those things are just as true and important as anything else in the Bible because without any of them, we would be left what? Hopeless. Without any of them, we would be left hopeless. The very ba basis for our salvation is God's love for us. That's the very basis of everything is God's love for us. That's what changes everything. It's not how much we can do for God which is what so, mother, so many other religions or faiths teach. It's not about how much we can do for God. In Paul's day, that was completely unheard of among the pagan religions. Even the Jewish law only went so far when it came to salvation. Paul was quick to point that out elsewhere. In his first most probable letter we have in the New Testament, Paul writes to the churches in Galatia, but those who depend on the law to make them right with God or under his curse. For the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. And let me ask this question. Anybody here followed God's book of the law perfectly? So by that standard, we all are under that curse. Because not one of us can follow 
every rule that's written in God's book of the law. It can only be God's love through Jesus that we can be restored to him, be saved from our sins, and enjoy an eternity with him. Paul then points that out when he says, but Christ has rescued us from the curse. That's what we were heading towards. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. And by that, he rescued us from that. And explaining the very same event, Paul also wrote to the Roman believers, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Jesus himself is the revelation of God's love for humankind. You might say, what does God's love look like? It looks like Jesus. That's what it looks like. Because Jesus is the revelation of God's love for humankind. Paul said exactly that when he wrote further on to the Romans. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. All that we ever need to know about God's love is revealed to us in Jesus. Everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus did, and everything Jesus died for. It shows the eternal reach of God's love for us. Nothing, nothing, nothing will ever deprive or separate us from God's love towards us through the death and resurrection of Jesus and the indwelling of His Holy Spirit. That is a promise God gives to us in His Word, and it's the only faith where we have the full confidence and assurance of God's eternal love given to us. We don't have to work for it. He gives it to us. Paul also says in our verses this morning that God has, has given us eternal comfort. That's what he says next in our verses this morning. As pointed out by one biblical scholar in this context, another way to say what's said here is everlasting encouragement. It knows no limits. God's encouragement for us. When you look this phrase up in the Greek, though, you discover something even more meaningful. The word used here for comfort is none other than periclesius. Does that look familiar to anyone? It's this exact same word used to describe someone. Shortly before his arrest and death, Jesus tells his disciples, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. And then he point blank says, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. That word for advocate or comforter or intercessor in whatever biblical translation you have in the Greek is parakletos or the paraclete. That word used for the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 17, Jesus comes right away and names him as none other than the Holy Spirit himself. What's my point? To beleaguered and battered Thessalonian believers in Jesus who were being persecuted for their faith, this would mean the world to them. It's one thing to try to encourage someone yourself. But human encouragement can only go so far. Am I right? Human encouragement can only go so far. 
No one, except maybe a spouse, can truly know what you're going through, right? But Paul isn't trying to encourage the Thessalonians with his own platitudes. What he's doing is he's pointing out to the battered Thessalonians where any lasting and truly everlasting encouragement and comfort can only come from. God himself and how? Through the power of his indwelling spirit who makes a home inside every believer in Jesus. Just like with being reminded of God's love, being reminded of God's everlasting comfort and encouragement changes everything. Lastly, in this verse, Paul reminds the Thessalonians, and God is reminding us today of God's good hope by grace. God's good hope by grace. It all starts with God's love as the basis for our salvation. Throughout the rest of this life, we will endure hardships, trials, temptations, failure, times of heartbreak, physical pain, and distress. But through it all, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us and injecting God's never-ending comfort and encouragement into our hearts. And at the end of it all, when we are about to breathe our last breath, we have God's good hope by grace. Now, what do I mean by that? This is really cool. Hope in Scripture, and especially in this verse, is not a gamble or a wish. It's an assurance. It's an anticipation. In the Greek, it's a word used to anticipate or welcome something because you know it's coming. When you were a kid and you knew your birthday was coming up, your excitement started building up more and more the closer you got to that day, right? Why? Because you knew what was coming. <laughs> no one could take your birthday off of the calendar. It was a guaranteed given. That's the same with our future destination for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If we have placed our faith in Jesus for our salvation and have made Him the King of our lives, there is no chance that we won't make it into heaven. God has already promised it to us. God has already given us the key to our heavenly dwellings. You might be thinking, what in the world are you talking about? What key? I mentioned this before, but God makes this promise. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit that indwells us when we become believers in Jesus is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance He promised and that He has purchased us to be His own people. If you can see the Holy Spirit making changes inside of you, that is the evidence of your faith in Jesus and you are guaranteed, not that there's a good chance or hopefully, but guaranteed your pad in heaven, enjoying the presence of God for eternity. We have that good hope or full confidence only by God's grace towards us. The undeserved favor. And it connects all the way back to God's love for us. Again, the discouraged and beaten down Thessalonians needed to hear that. And God knew a lot of you here today needed to hear that. But again, God did not love us choose us, save us, change us, comfort us, and give us the confidence of where we're spending our eternity for no reason. He did all of that for a reason and a purpose. If all the painful things in our lives happen for a reason, which they do, 
the very least of which to grow our faith, then all the good things in our life also happen for a reason. Our salvation and indwelling of the Holy Spirit happened for a reason and a purpose. We talked about that connection to God through the Holy Spirit. And that's, next we're going to talk about what that does to us or should do to us, the change. That's what brings us to verse 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself comfort and strengthen your hearts. For what reason and purpose? For every good work and word. That's what it says there. There is a reason Paul ended that section with that. Just a little while ago, we talked about how God chose us to be his children, but that also means he chose us to make us into the image of his character and righteousness. A lot of that could be categorized as inward change or change that the Holy Spirit brings about that not everyone can really see. But that inward change also has a purpose. That inward change must also lead to outward change. What those around us can see. And that outward change is twofold. How? By what you do and what you say. That's how Paul ends this section. By what you do and what you say. It's exactly what Paul says, albeit in different words at the end of verse 17. See, Paul says, All that love from God and everlasting comfort and encouragement and assurance of your eternal destiny has a point. It has a purpose. That purpose is not just for you to feel good. That purpose is for all of that to strengthen, strengthen your heart. And why is it to strengthen your heart? In order to strengthen you for good things you should do and good things you should say. The Thessalonians needed to be motivated to continue the outward display of what God was doing in their hearts, even in the midst of crushing persecution. The good works and words uh, Paul was urging them to continue were works and words to display the power of the gospel in their lives. The question is, how are each of us displaying the power of the gospel in our lives in outward ways? I'm going to repeat that. How are each of us displaying the power of the gospel in our lives in outward ways? ways. See, we can soak up as many good sermons as we can from any number of solid Bible preaching pastors and read God's word every day and read every devotional under the sun. But if we're not doing anything with it or saying anything about it, there's no point to it. If no one hears the words that come out of my mouth regarding scripture, And if I don't do anything with that, then all the hours that I pour into each week's message are pointless. That's just the way that it is. The Apostle James outright said the same exact thing when he said, don't just listen to God's word. Don't just keep soaking and soaking and soaking and feeding and eating all of God's word that you can. Don't just do that. You must do what it says. It's got to come back out. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. I can't think of any clearer way to say exactly what James just said. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. So again, 
with all the Bible reading and all the Bible teaching and all the devotionals that we're reading and consuming and putting into us, what are we doing with it? What are we doing with it and what are we saying about it to somebody else? If we're not doing or saying anything with it or about it, we're exactly what James is talking about here and we're only fooling ourselves. You mean I have to actually take what I read in God's word and what I learn from God's word and actually do something with it? Yes! I'm getting some glares right now. That's okay, I'm going to keep going. (laughs) Yes, again, not my words, God's words. You mean I have to make that inward change that the Holy Spirit is doing in my heart and have it be shown in what I do and what I say on an everyday basis? Yes! Again, not my words, God's words. It's one thing, and this is what, if you don't take anything away from this message other than this, this morning, I want it to be this. Put down your phones that you're scrolling through. Put down anything that's distracting you right now. It's one thing to feel convicted about something. That is that stirring in your heart by the Holy Spirit that something needs to change in your life. That's one thing. It's one thing to feel that conviction. It's quite another to inwardly repent of what needs to be changed between you and God and inwardly make the decision that you're going to change what needs to be changed. And what's most important here, it's even quite another to actually make those changes so that anyone who is aware of their surroundings can see those changes in your life. This is seen in two general ways in our life, and both are positive if you think about it. On one hand, displaying the power of the gospel in outward ways is the positive act of allowing your heart to be strengthened, as Paul notes in verse 17, thereby getting rid of the fear that prevents so many of us from sharing the good news of Jesus with someone else and surrendering to the power of God, giving us the things to do and things to say to lead someone else to Jesus. That's one side of it. On another hand, displaying the power of the gospel in outward ways is also the positive act of noticing what the Holy Spirit is pointing out that needs to be repented of. Take the power of the Spirit to make what changes need to be made, both inwardly and outwardly, and using that to be a bright testimony of your sanctification process and obedience to God. After all, Isn't displaying the power of the gospel in our lives the whole point of our lifelong transformation by the Holy Spirit? Isn't that the whole point of it all? That all that love and everlasting comfort and encouragement and eternal security that God gives to us is what strengthens us to outwardly do something with it? That's what brings us all the way back to verse 14, which we talked about last week. It was for all of this, all that we just talked about, he called you through our gospel. That's the whole point. That's the whole purpose of that faith that he's called us to. It was for what? Paul said for what in the verse right before it? Salvation offered by God and transformation of the Holy Spirit that goes right along with it and gives the evidence of that salvation. 
So listen to the Holy Spirit stirring inside of you right now. I know he's, I know he's working right now. Listen to the Holy Spirit stirring inside of you right now. Listen to what he's saying to you. Repent of what needs to be repented of before God. Make what changes need to be made and rely on the Spirit's power to make those changes. And as we allow the Spirit to convict and change what needs to be changed inside of us, allow the Spirit to convict and change what needs to be changed outwardly. Not one of us is exempt or excused from either one of those processes because really they're the same process in our journey of sanctification. Here's what's important. Whether or not we like it, we talked about this last week, but I want to end our time together this morning with what Paul has already written about this topic. And this is my same prayer for all those who are gathered with us together today. So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for giving us that everlasting encouragement. And we thank you for giving us the assurance of, re- of our eternal destination. But Lord, I pray that you would remind us that you have chosen us, not only to give all of those things to, but you've also chosen us for a purpose. Not just for us to feel good, not just for us to know where we're going to go when we die, but for a purpose of change of transformation, of having that faith be seen in outward ways through the transformation process of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who's feeling your Holy Spirit stirring inside of them, leading them to something, convicting them of something, Lord, I pray that they would not squash that down. Pray that they would not just sweep it under the rug or pretend it's not happening. But Lord, I pray that they would give themselves over to it. I pray that they would surrender themselves to it. I pray that anyone here who is being convicted, who is having the Holy Spirit stir inside of them right now for salvation, that they would finally give up their lives to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if there's anybody here who has the Holy Spirit stirring inside of them to make a change in their life, that, they would, that you would give them the courage to to repent of that before you right now, inwardly, and to make what changes need to be made to be seen outwardly. We thank you that your power of your Holy Spirit indwelling us oversees and empowers all of that entire process. We thank you that you never leave us alone, that you take us where you find us, and you make us into the people you want us to be. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.